Hello and welcome to Behind the Hospital Curtain, the NNUH podcast, where we talk about different aspects of healthcare. I'm Susie Hawes and today we're talking about virtual healthcare. Now the COVID-19 pandemic really did change ways of working for us all, from using Teams for our work meetings, using Zoom or FaceTime to call friends, and here at the hospital, being a patient cared for on our virtual ward. But what is a virtual ward and how do they work? I'm speaking to our virtual ward manager, Claire Beard, who explains who's eligible, how our medical teams stay in touch with patients at home and how we've helped other hospitals set up their own virtual wards. I hope you enjoyed the episode. So Claire, what is a virtual ward? So a virtual ward is a way of looking after patients in their own home. It's a way of getting them out of hospital when they don't need to be sitting in hospital. Um, They're able to do certain things for themselves, so they don't need to be sat in an acute bed, but they still need some sort of care or intervention, or they're still waiting for tests and test results. They can do that at home rather than in the hospital. Okay, and when did the virtual ward at the NNN start? So we took our first patient in February of 2021 um, and it started off with COVID patients. as a way of getting them home quicker. Um, obviously, they didn't want to be in hospital at the time. Um, families couldn't visit them. It was very difficult to be a patient in hospital during COVID times. So the quicker we could get them out of hospital, the better it was for them and for the hospital that was becoming overwhelmed as we were a regional centre. Um, and very quickly they realised that actually there was a lot more scope than just COVID patients, so it's expanded. So do you think without COVID, we would have virtual wards? I think they were starting. There was mumblings about them. They were going to happen at some point. I think the COVID massively expedited it. I don't think it would be as big or as popular as it is now. Um, I think it might take a little bit longer to get here. I think we might have got here eventually, um, but under frankly, it might have looked very very different to it what it does now yeah and so does every hospital have a virtual world um they should do eventually um it's something that that was a government initiative um back in 2021 at the end of 21 so we took our first patient in february 21 um by november of, of that year um the government had decided that that all patients should be able to have access to a virtual world Wow, so we were actually kind of one of the first, I guess, to have it, were we? Yeah, one of the first 24-hour virtual boards, yeah. So how big is our virtual ward at the minute? How many patients could you have on a virtual ward at any one time? So the North Norwich virtual ward can take up to 60 acute patients at any one time. Um, we're staffed to, to look after 60 patients or 60 beds. Yeah, the, the team is quite big. We have um, a pool of, of 12 um, whole-time equivalent um, registered band five nurses. We have three band six nurses that go out and do a lot of the onboarding, sorting out patients, identifying patients and reviewing the patients in hospital before they go home. We have myself as the ward manager and we have um, Mike Waters, who is our operational lead. Um, and we also have a full-time pharmacist. We have admin staff. And we have a couple of HCAs that, that will help us with the onboarding um, and seeing patients on, on what was often the yeah, other unit. We also have junior doctors and um, consultants. We have a handful of consultants who take it in turns to sort of um, run the consultant-led ward round. 
on a weekly rotation. So can you just explain how it works about how you identify who's suitable for it? How, you, do you have a member of staff that goes on to wards and speaks to clinicians to say who might be suitable today? To yeah, no, absolutely. So the referral system is on ice, um, which is an internal sort of referral. Um, any, anybody inside the hospital can, can fill out an ice form that will come to us and, and that means that we will go and review patients. So we'll go and have a look at those patients. We go to um, regular ward meetings. We go to regular ops centre meetings and identify patients through lots of different means. Um, and then we will go and speak to the consultant and say, actually, this patient's been identified by the nurse looking after them. Um, what do you think? Um, any patients that is referred to us or that is identified as a potential by the nurses or the doctors that are looking after that patient day to day, any patient that is potentially suitable for the virtual ward, one of the deputy sisters or myself or the obviously will go out and review the patient. We'll look through their notes. We'll have a conversation with the patient. We'll talk about um, what support they've got at home, what their needs are um, and whether or not they would be suitable. Um, we also talk to our external um, partners. So we, we work with HomeLink and NCHNC, um, Norwich Community Healthcare. Trust to look at whether or not we can deliver IV therapy at home so patients can go home on antibiotics and things like that. So um, we will have conversations with several people before we say, yes, this patient is suitable. Um, and then we'll speak to the patient about their suitability um, and they will decide. So you mentioned earlier that initially it started with COVID patients, then you kind of quite rapidly realised other patients would be suitable. What sort of patient would be suitable? Is it any speciality, like someone who comes in with a for a knee operation or a hip operation, as opposed to like a respiratory issue, or or does it depend? It depends on the patient. It depends on their pathway and what they're coming to us for. But yeah, technically, we can take patients from every speciality apart from at the moment pediatrics, um, and that's just down to the to the licensing of the kits. Uh, and we're looking into that. So hopefully, in the future, in the next year or two, we'll be able to take pediatrics on board as well. Um, but yeah, we have had pregnant patients. We will take patients from medical, surgical, um, oncology, every, every speciality we have had um, under the virtual ward. Wow. And you mentioned kits. So is that something that a patient goes home with then? Yeah. So they go home with, we've got two different types of kit. We've got continuous or intermittent. So again, depending on the acuity of the patient and why the patient's coming to us, and that's something that our, our um, deputy sisters, when they go around and review the patients that are referred to us, they'll make that decision as to what level of monitoring. So with the medical team, we'll make the decision of what level of monitoring they need. Some patients will go home with intermittent kit, which means that they go home um, and a couple of times a day, their little devices will ask them. So their um, mobile phones that come with the kit will ask them to pop the um, SATS probe on their finger and do a, a blood pressure and all of that is Bluetoothed over to the kit and then comes over to our dashboard so that the nurses can see what the OBS are. Um, and we also have um, continuous kit, which will do a um, an ECG tracing. We'll do respiratory rate, SATs, oxygen levels, um, heart rate, and we'll do it continuously. So that's just a, a sort of like a wristband, um, like a smartwatch that the patients wear all the time and that gives us all of that data wow that's amazing so what so you so we're blood pressure mm. then is it oxygen levels is that what you mean with that yeah. Yeah. temperature temperature heart round rates 
that's yeah technology is amazing isn't so, it yeah basically your big ops machine just all condensed down. that's the art watch thing by the bed is yeah. um just on a basically like a smart smart watch and a blood pressure cuff yep amazing so do patients ever feel a bit daunted when they're given this kit and they just told to go home and it's it's you know, downing you to raise any problems or, or will be alerted to any problems electronically or, or are they mostly quite happy? So they're mostly quite happy. Sometimes they are a bit daunted and we will always get there. I'm, I'm a technophobe, I can't do this. We will always do the first set of ops with them. We'll set up the kit with them and we'll go through it with them. On each of the mobile phones, there's a button that says, um, I'm not feeling well. It's exactly the same as pressing their call bell um, while they're in hospital. So if they press that button, I'm not feeling well, it alerts the nurse um, that's watching the dashboard to then call that patient and say, what's going on, what's happening? And I always encourage them, even if you're struggling with the kit, press that button or give us a ring and we can talk you through the kit. We can talk you to, through doing your ops. We can talk you through anything that you need. Um, it's not a case of here's the kit, you're on your own. We will FaceTime those patients every single day, uh, make sure that they're okay. But it's a two-way conversation, basically. We can always get hold of them they can always get hold of us very quickly as well so if they need us during the day they can go to our direct dial numbers and they're given all of this information when they leave the hospital they're given all of the ways to get hold of us so it's not a case of you on your own yeah and I guess some people might have family you know who can sort of help support perhaps as well um do you ever get any feedback from them I guess they must feel it's really nice to have their loved ones home but maybe they also feel a little bit like you know I've got to check they're okay yeah, there is always that. Um, family members are nearly always happy to have their relatives home. Um, as hard as we um, try to keep relatives, as much as we try to keep relatives informed while they're in hospital, it is really difficult. When you're giving patient care on a very busy ward, you don't have the time to be answering the phone all the time. Um, so relatives find that they're much more informed because they can listen to the conversations, they can be there. Um, there there's relatives get a lot out of it as well they feel a lot more included in what's going on obviously with the patient's um consent um and particularly in covid times as well when when we were back in the days where you were out one visitor for one hour a day um it was really really hard for relatives so they find it a lot easier um to, to get information when they're when they're with their relatives at home um so yeah relatives find it a lot easier and I guess that there's um, there's something nice about being home, isn't there? If you've been away, when you get home, you have your comforts, your own bed, you know, perhaps pets, your own yeah. food. Does that make a difference? It makes a huge difference. Um, again, hopping back to COVID times, it made a massive difference to people's um, psychological well-being um, or, or mental well-being. Being stuck in hospital, not being able to see anybody. But even if, even in in times like now, where we, you know, we've not worried so much about COVID, we still taking people away from their relatives, from their homes. Um, we're still putting them in different um, environments, expecting them to eat and drink when we tell them this is when lunchtime is, this is when your cup of tea is coming round. So there's lots of sort of um, benefits to being at home, you know, from being on holiday or from being in hospital yourself, getting to sleep in your own bed. You always are going to sleep much better in your own bed you're going to eat better at home. So as good as we try and make hospital food, it's not what you would eat when you're at home. And it's not at the times that you would eat when you're at home. If you want to go and get a cup of tea, you can go and do that at home. So, you know, there's lots and lots of benefits. You also, 
hospitals are full of sick people. So you're going to pick up um, hospital-acquired infections, hospital-acquired thrombosis. You're going to decondition as well while you're in hospital. You can't get up and wander around as much as you would at home. And especially when your tea and your coffee and your meals are being brought to you. Actually, it does you good to get up and go and make yourself a cup of tea as you're convalescing. So there's huge, huge benefits to being at home. Absolutely. As well as the sort of family, pets, um, you know, pets. We, we all know that, that pets are massive parts of people's lives. And it's a big worry for people when they're in hospital. Who's looking after my pets? You know, getting them home and getting them to be with those pets is huge for a lot of people. Have you had occasions where someone is being observed and you've seen something you're not quite happy with and you want them back in in hospital? What happens if in that sort of situation? So it depends on why they're coming back in and what the acuity of them is. If we need to get them back in urgently, we can ring 999 and get them back in. Um, we will talk to the patients, we'll talk to their teams, we will talk to the doctors and in exactly the same way. We've built, built up really, really good relationships with hospital at night teams and the um, psych ops teams. So we will go to them particularly out of hours and say, right, we, I've got these concerns about this patient. I think they need to come back in. Uh, we'll find them a bed. We'll call them an ambulance. We'll make sure that once we've got them the bed, the ambulance knows where to bring them so that they're not sitting in A&E. Um, they're not adding to the big old ambulance crew outside ED. They, they've got that sort of, they, in theory, because they're still inpatients, they should, it's, it should be like moving from one ward to another and back again. They should be able to slide straight back into a bed. Um, obviously, the, yeah, it depends on, on um, the bed state of the hospital, but they're, they're triaged. They are already under a team. They've already got a really clear plan. So when things go awry, we can just get them straight back into a bed um, and get them, they're already under that team. So the team usually are aware that they're coming back in and we'll review them straight away. Yeah. Not like having to wait for a place to take Waldron. Yeah. So say you've got someone who's a respiratory patient, let's just stick with respiratory and they go home. If they have to come in, obviously they're under the, the care of the virtual ward. Do they are they still under the care of respiratory teams at the same time? Yes. Were you constantly working with other yeah. medical or surgical teams? Absolutely. So they usually happens when we onboard the patient or, or um, bring them onto the virtual ward is we get a very clear plan from their parent team. This is what is going to happen. This is what we expect to happen. And if anything falls out of those expectations, please let us know. We'll bring the patient back in. Um, so the patients will be coming in under their teams, their teams are aware, their parent teams will always be aware that they're coming back in and why they're coming back in. Um, and it's quite often that they've made the decision to bring the patient back in as well. So we work with the parent teams as well, but we also have a consultant overseeing um, the day-to-day bits and pieces and if and we will follow the plan that the parent team have given us. Okay, so the consultant might flag something with the parent team yeah. and they have those conversations and our medical teams then involved in decisions. Yeah. And when they go home, I presume they go home um, with a certain medicines they are told to take at certain times. Absolutely. Yeah. And when we talk to them, we will go through. Um, so we keep them, um, most of them we keep live on our electronic um, prescribing and medication administration system. So our EPMA, our, our electronic drug charts are kept up to date. So if that patient does have to transfer back into hospital, the nurses in the, on the ward and the doctors on the ward know exactly what they've had that day. Um so they don't have to go through it all again. 
Um, but yeah, we keep everything up to date so that there's a simpler handover, a simpler smooth transition between care. Talking about sort of the benefit to the hospital overall, you mentioned bed state and things like that. Is there a benefit to the organisation and other patients and, um, on other wards by having this special ward? Well, we can all remember sort of the winter pressures, especially last year when we had seven, sometimes eight patients in a bay. We had patients in corridors. And that's something that always happens every winter. It's not ideal for any patient. It's not ideal for the staff. And it's certainly not ideal for the trust either. It's um, very difficult for everybody concerned, really. Um, so if we can increase that flow um, and get some of those patients at home, stop that build-up of patients in the actual building, it makes a big, big, big difference to everybody involved. Patients, obviously, are, are cared for much better. Uh, it's, it's much easier for patients to not have to be in the corridor. They've got their dignity, they've got their privacy. And they've got all the other benefits of being at home, but all the benefits of also being in hospital where they're watched, they're looked after, that they've got an escalation back into hospital if they really need it. They've got nursing advice on the end of the phone 24-7. So from a staffing point of view, from the ward staff, it takes a little bit of pressure off them that they don't have extra patients. Um, From our staffing um, perspective, the the, um, virtual ward staff really enjoy working on the virtual ward because it's getting back to grassroots nursing, it's being able to have those conversations with the patients, it's being able to see what's important for the patients and we can see the benefit to the patients as well. Um, And the staff here really enjoy working on the virtual ward Um, and the the, um, benefits to the trust are that patient flow, that being able to move patients both ends of the hospital so we can get patients out of the hospital earlier, which means that we're freeing up beds to allow the offload of ambulances or the offload of the GP cases. So it's allowing that to happen as well. So you mentioned that we were kind of one of the first, well, one of the first to be 24-7. Have you yourself been involved in sharing your knowledge or expertise on setting up virtual wards? Yeah, we've had conversations with lots of other trusts trusts within our ICB and outside of the ICB as well. So we've had lots of conversations with places like Cambridge, Devon, Liverpool. Um, there's lots of different places that we've kent um, that have come to us for advice or to look at our model to talk us through um, how they're setting up their virtual ward. Um, so, yeah, we, we've given advice on lots of different platforms, um, national um, conferences, the HEC conference, which is the Health Excellence Through Technology, um, I recently was able to talk on a panel at that and talk through um, people from all over the country about how we've set ours up. That's amazing. That's brilliant. Is there always room for like improvement though, like for you to learn and for us to learn? Absolutely. We're always learning from everybody. It's a very new way of, of working for us, for our staff, for our hospital. And it's very new for our patients as well to say this is what's going to happen. Um, we learn constantly from other people. So I was saying at the head conference that you know that there's always scope for two-way learning. It's not just us saying this is what we're doing. Follow us. We've learned a lot from other trusts as well about how they've implemented it, some of the pathways that they've used, um, and and some of, of the patients that they have been able to say yes to. Um, so yeah, there's constant learning from both ways, and that there's lots of other things that could happen. Yeah, and. How many patients have we seen then, do you know, roughly? So, starting? 
since the beginning, we've seen 2,800 patients, 2,860. Um, and we've been able to give the, the hospital 24,000 bed days back. So there's sort of bed days saved or bed days that we've been able to, to free up for the for the hospital. So 24,000 yeah. bed days. So that's 24,000 days in hospital. Nice. Someone else has been in hospital because yeah. someone's been at home. Yeah. Amazing. And do you think this is the future of healthcare now? There's not any going back? I don't, yeah, I think it would be very difficult to take it away now, um, particularly as patients are getting used to it, staff are getting used to it. It's something that technology is enabling us to move forward. Um, there will always be patients that are too acutely unwell and need that hands-on care that needs to happen in the building. But actually, there's an awful lot of patients that don't need to be waiting in the building. Um, and we've got an aging population. We've got increasing demands on our healthcare system. This is one way of, of relieving some of those demands and allowing the sickest patients to be where they need to be um, and allowing patients to have that choice of where they're actually best. Um, you know, the patient should have, have the ability to say, actually, I want to be at home to have this care done. Um, so it's about putting the patient at the heart of, of what's going on with their journey. And, and yeah, I think it is the future. I think we'll see more and more virtual wards appear, both in community and acute virtual wards. Yeah, you mentioned patient choice. Can a patient say no? Yep, absolutely. Um, so when the patients are um, onboarded or when we go and review them, we will always have that conversation with the patient. This is an option for you. I will never go and say, well, this is what's happening. You are going home with this kit. It's always, this is an option and what do you think? Um, very, very few patients um, in the two and a half, nearly three years that we've been running, only about four or five patients have said absolutely no. Um, some of them are a little bit nervous about the kit. And again, we can give them that reassurance. We can make sure that we've got, they've got the help with the kit. Um, but no, very few people say no, but it's their choice. Um, and we all respect that. Absolutely. I'm just wondering about maybe, um, some of the more elderly patients we might have, and if they don't have anyone at home, is that tricky for it to be an option for them? Because if they don't have perhaps, um, a permanent presence of care in the home or, an, or another relative? Can it make it too difficult for them? Sometimes it can make it easier for them that they know that they're not on their own. It's like having some an extra person at home. It's, it's They're aware that there's somebody keeping an eye on them, so it gives them that reassurance to go home. A bit of confidence, a bit of confidence to go home. Um, you know, we, we're not a safety net and we wouldn't be able to take every patient that's a bit nervous about going home because... Sometimes that could be a lot of patients. They have to have a clinical need. They have to have the criteria to reside. Um, so they have to have a need, to, a reason to be on the virtual ward. But for a lot of patients, it's really reassuring to know that actually if they needed anything at three o'clock in the morning, all they've got to do is press the I need help button or I'm not feeling very well on their device and somebody will call them. And sometimes it's just having a little chat, talking them through actually some deep breathing exercises or... Um, giving them the confidence to go and get that extra pain relief because sometimes they think, oh, I don't know if I'm allowed anymore. We can check when they last had their medication. Um, we can check what medication they've got at home and we can give them that reassurance that, yeah, it is okay to take another tablet or actually, no, don't take any more. You have to have had enough today. And let's, let's look at different ways of coping with what's going on with you. Um, so for a lot of patients, particularly those on their own, they do find it reassuring that there is somebody there to help them if they need that help. 
Yeah, that's brilliant. I've not thought of it like that. I think I was thinking of, you know, maybe an elderly grandparent and not wondering whether they'd be technically savvy enough. There are always patients that we're going to have to say, no, they're not going to cope with the kit. They're not going to cope with this. They're not going to engage. And we're going to worry more about them being at home on their own. They're actually safer staying in hospital until we've got, until they've got over their acute illness or until they've got a bit more of a package of care or a bit more support at home. But if they've already got a package of care set up, if they've already got somebody going in regularly, then there's no reason why they can't go on a virtual ward. So I think my last question really is, do you have any opinion on what's next for like virtual healthcare in terms of from a trust perspective or even just, you know, society? I think from a trust perspective, it's, I think it's just going to get bigger. Um, and we're going to get, we're going to use it more and more. Um, there's a lot more scope of what we can do to what we do do. Um, I'd really love to be able to get paediatrics on board. Um, I think that especially sort of in the winter times, it will give the parents a lot of um, confidence to take their children home and know that there's a quick route back into hospital should they need it um, and that there's advice on the end of the phone. Um, from an ICB point of view, Paget, Kingsley, ourselves and the community are all getting together to set up one big hub. Um, there will be virtual wards that all have their own virtual wards but we'll be able to interact with each other a bit more um, we've all got the same kit so we will all have visibility eventually of, of each other's patients if we needed to help out anywhere else um, and I think that at some point there'll almost be a mirror image of a physical hospital all the sort of departments and, and bits and pieces that you've got in a physical hospital you could have at home Thank you to my guest Claire for talking to us about our virtual ward and how it's helping patients recover at home. We will definitely keep you updated with any developments in the future with our virtual ward. Please do share this episode with any friends and family who might be interested in virtual healthcare. Just a quick reminder, if you haven't caught some of our other episodes, then please do go and check them out. We've covered topics including organ donation, maternity services, emergency nursing and health and well-being. As always, thanks for listening. Until next time, take care.